Good morning, everyone. So when disappointment comes, when the chips are down, when fear or danger come, character is revealed. What comes squirting out of you when you are under pressure, under fear, under doubt, and disappointment? It tells you a lot about who you are in that moment. A lot of times you find that you didn't even know. Our story has a lot of that this morning. We're in the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're in a passage that off and on is going to lead us toward Easter. We're going to come into the story when Jesus leaves the upper room and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with the disciples. Not all of them, though. Judas has taken this opportunity while they're moving from one place to another to peel off. And he's gone off into the night to tell those who want to arrest Jesus that tonight I know where you can find him. He'll be with just a few people. He'll be out in the open, up on the Mount of Olives. That's where you can find him to arrest him. Jesus knows something's going to happen. The rest of them seem not to. That tomorrow's going to be the cross. Jesus has asked them to stay awake and pray with him, but they keep nodding off. They've done it three times now. Probably had too much wine celebrating the Passover. Jesus comes to them a third time, and that's where we start. Mark chapter 14, verse 41. When he returned to them a third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up! Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even if Jesus said this, the Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. When adversity comes, when danger comes, character is revealed. Whose character is revealed in this story? A lot of folks. Let's start with Judas. What is Judas doing? Uh, Bible scholars wrestle with why is Judas doing this? Does he hate Jesus? Does he want him to go to prison? Does he want him to be killed? Some speculate that Judas is really just disappointed. That Judas wanted a warrior Messiah, a king to come and start a holy war that would get the Romans and the, uh, kicked out of Israel forever. And Jesus has not been proceeding toward this goal. Some speculate that Judas has turned in Jesus to get him arrested, to get this uprising started, to get a conflict started, to get this holy war underway. Is it possible that in his mind he thinks he's doing a good thing? It's possible, but to get it done, He has to be underhanded. He has to associate with shady people. He has to be violent. In Judas' disappointment, his character has come out. And then there's this person that Mark calls one of the men with Jesus who, who whips out his sword and slashes off someone's ear. It just says one of the men with Jesus. But in, in three other gospel accounts, it tells us, this is Peter. 
This is the disciple Peter, and we learn in the other Gospels and in this one that Peter is a person of more passion than sense. Peter is a person of uh, ready, fire, aim. He, he, he's a, he, he's a, and so, you know, this holy war is starting, and he just falls for it hook, line, and sinker. He whips out his sword, and he goes for it. Now, I think he's trying to kill the high priest's servant, but he's a fisherman, not a swordsman, so he just gets a little bit of an ear. But his character is revealed. He's the person, if you push him, he's going to push back. Both of these men are trying to turn Jesus' movement into their own image, into something that looks a lot more like them. A little shady, a little violent from one, impulsive and defensive and retaliatory from another. Even today we do this. You'll see Christian people, when they're stressed, when they're afraid, turn Jesus' movement into an instrument of violence or into an instrument of retaliation or into something that gives us a reason to do what we kind of wanted to do to begin with. Now, I could apply that to politics, and the shoe would fit very well, and the lesson would, would go to the right place. Both sides of the aisle would have something to learn from that. But I think we'll actually learn more and transform our culture more if we talk about how we do this in our everyday life, how we do this in our families, in our workplaces, how we react this way all the time. And it just kind of, everything internationally just reflects who we are all the time. People who try to turn Jesus' movement into our own image. Uh, people Think of folks who only go digging in the Bible when they want to pull out a quote to prove a friend or family member wrong. All right? We take to the internet and we find something from the Bible that, to show that they're wrong. But the rest of the time, we hardly ever read the Bible. Think about folks who suddenly become religious when there's something they don't want to do or someone that they want to judge And then suddenly they're very Christian, but the rest of the time you could hardly tell they were spiritual at all. I get emails every once in a while from parents who ask me, do you have a Bible study that our family can do that will show our teenager that they they are being disrespectful and making bad choices? And I always tell them, has your family been studying the Bible all along? Like, no, but we're going to start now, by God. (laughs) And I always have to tell them, don't. I mean, families should study the Bible together, but now is not the time. Do not give your kid the impression that God has been waiting silently in the wings and now is going to come onto the stage just in time to whap them with the Bible and tell them they're wrong. He said, get to studying the scripture as a family, but not today, not today. Think of all the times that someone's unkind to us and we need a Christian reason to be unkind back. Someone has been underhanded, shady, thrown us under the bus and we need a justification to throw them under the bus back. They've been profane and inappropriate with us. We want to be profane and inappropriate back. Weaponizing our faith for our relationships to get what we want done. Turning Jesus' movement into something that's in our image. Character is revealed. Uh, This gold and white on the cross represents that we're in the season of epiphany, a season where we we look at these times when Jesus is revealed and who he is is revealed. And you know, his character is also revealed in our passage this morning. Verse 48, Jesus asked them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. 
But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Ouch. But when stress and disappointment and fear and danger come, it can also reveal good character. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is able to look this whole mob in the eye and say, I haven't been sneaking around in the night. That's what you're doing. I haven't been violent or dangerous. That's what you are. You know, that was the whole key. His righteousness stands in stark contrast to what's happening, that their evil and their intentions and their character is being unmasked all the more because of who he's been. That was the whole key to the civil rights movement of the 60s as it was led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., especially especially that day on the Edwin Pettus Bridge in Alabama. So hundreds of black marchers had gathered together. They were going to march to the Capitol to protest for voters' rights legislation. They had the right to vote, but there were all these other laws that made it very difficult, and they were going to go for voters' protection legislation. But when they got to the Edwin Pettus Bridge, they were met by a line of police. Police with gas masks, with riot shields, with batons, with horses, with dogs, with bullwhips. I don't think bullwhips are standard police issue gear, but I didn't live back then. Maybe it was. And they had a bullhorn and they said, this is an unlawful assembly. Go back to your church. But instead, they just knelt there on the bridge and they prayed and they sang a hymn. And they attacked The police came, they rode them down with horses, they hurled gas canisters at them, they struck them with batons, they sick dogs on them, they used the whips. But the difference was that this time it was televised. Some of you may remember if you were watching TV in 65. Suddenly all of America could see. See, if even one of those protesters had picked up a canister and thrown it back, if even one of them had, had taken a stick and hit a dog, if even one of them had wrestled with the police officer, the police could have said, now, see how violent these people are. That's why we have to use these kind of tactics. But everybody's able to see they're just kneeling and praying. And then all this happened? Is this what they've been talking about the whole time? Suddenly all character is revealed particularly because of their righteousness in the face of that. Within two days, a couple of those folks would be dead. But within a month, not only did Alabama have voters' rights legislation, but the federal government was moved and passed it for the entire country because of that incident. Evil always reveals itself. And the more righteous and peaceful you are in the face of it, the more it gets revealed. In our story, we also have such a double reveal. Verse 50, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Okay, so these guys knew all this was going to happen. They've all gathered at this guy's house for the night, for their all-night fake trial. And the disciples, they've all run away. One of them is so eager to get out of there, he literally ran out of his clothes. Jesus stands alone. Why did Jesus have the, the character and the courage To be able to stand alone. Go back to what he said. He said, uh, 
But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Which scriptures? I think it's Zechariah chapter 13, a prophecy in the Old Testament given 300 years before that night. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn against the lambs. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. They will say, I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. If we unpack that prophecy, the first thing it says is that when the sword comes, God will not protect everyone from the violence that people do. You already know this from seeing the world around you, from your own life, maybe what you're going through this week, from this story here. But it also says that evil cannot win. Two-thirds may be struck down, yes, but one-third will remain. And the Lord says, I will bring that one-third through the fire. The disciples may all run away, every last one of them, some of them leaving their shirt behind. But within a week, God will begin to bring them back together and they will form the church. And the church has now stood for 2,000 years and spread everywhere in the world. God will pass that group through the fire, but it doesn't say to destroy them. It says to refine them, a refining fire to purify You know how that works, right? Purifying of metals. You dig up this stuff from the ground and it's got the valuable and the invaluable. It's got the good and the bad. It's got the gross and the precious. And you pass it through a hot fire. It's a blazing fire. And it burns away everything that's unpure. It burns away all the cowardice. It burns away all the evil. And what you're left with is then pure. And you know how a a metal refiner knows that he's got a pure metal? He can see his own reflection in it. After all of this, it says God will be faithful. Even if we fail the test, even if we run out of our clothes to get away from God when our moment of fear and doubt and disappointment comes, even when our character is revealed because God's character is also revealed and God's character is a character of amazing grace. That's why Jesus is standing alone and yet he's purchasing salvation for all of humanity because God's character, the Old Testament calls it chesed. Chesed means a covenant love. Like you make a promise to God and God makes a promise to you and then you don't hold up your end and you break your promise. God has a right to withdraw from the contract but it says he has chesed, this amazing covenant love that says I'll still keep my half. Why would you do that? Because of chesed. Because of a covenant love. I'll still keep my half. That's what Jesus is doing. Up, let's be going, he says. Everyone, gone. All right then. It's just me. Amazing grace, we call that. God's character is revealed. Jesus goes into the jaws of injustice alone. Not one human would suffer with him. 
Not one would stand with him, and yet he purchased salvation for all of them and for all of us. So the evil in your life, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know who's dealing with you dirty. I don't know who's being dishonest. I don't know who's provoking you. I don't know who's throwing you under the bus. I don't know what's happening. But you do, and God does. And if you can follow this model of Jesus and stand as Jesus would stand, that evil will be revealed. It will be revealed all the more. If you can stand as Jesus stood. You are never too young to practice this. Children can practice this. Let me tell you a story about a a young man, late uh, high school, early college. Uh, This uh, kid, he has a stepmom. She's like something out of a grim fairy tale. All right, you know, always... Always something's got to be cleaned, something's got to be scrubbed, the house has got to be straightened up, but it's never done right, according to her. Um, she, uh, uh, you know, you can't have any fun until after the chores are done, and, you know, the chores are never done. She uh, tells this young man he's lazy. She tells him that he is selfish. But he feels like he's got a lot more chores than other guys he goes to school with. He mows the grass, he scrubs the toilets, he vacuums the floor, he dusts the furniture, he unloads and loads the dishwasher, he does the laundry, he gets a rag out, puts oil on it, and does all the woodwork in the house, the handrails, the door frames, the spindles, crawls around and does all the baseboards. He doesn't know anybody else at school doing this. Seems like a big list to him, but she assures him that he rarely does it, he never does it right, and it all proves that he is selfish and he is lazy. And so this... uh, kid he decides there's only one thing to do he's going to have to do all the chores he's going to have to do even those that are assigned to the siblings even those that are assigned to the dad even those that are assigned to the stepmom he has to know so he's a church kid so he kneels at the bed each saturday morning he prays for a good spirit and then he gets to work and by noon or two on saturday he's getting it done Comes home every day from school, does the daily list, even before homework, just to make sure it's done in a timely fashion, before anyone else can see it and be displeased with it. And he knows he can't miss even one day or the whole thing's off. His friends do not understand what is he doing. His girlfriend does not understand why is he not available until late in the day on Saturday. But he has to know Is his character flawed or is he being treated unfairly? About two and a half, three months into it, his stepmother blows up as she often did. She swears at him. She throws things around the kitchen. She locks herself in the bedroom. A few hours later, a family meeting is called. All the siblings are called to sit down. The young man sits down. The stepmom, she will not be appearing at the meeting. She is too infuriated to be in the room with any of these people, she said. But she has sent her word with the father. The father says, your stepmother just has one request. She only asks for a little help around the house. Just like you, all the siblings explode. They roar in laughter like, are you kidding us? They point to their oldest sibling. He's doing my chores already. He's doing your chores already. He's doing her chores already. And he said it wouldn't make any difference. And here we sit, it hasn't made any difference. Father has nothing to say. It's true. 
The young man just breathes a sigh of relief. And he never felt guilty again for one thing that he did or didn't do. He never wore the label lazy or selfish again. All character had been revealed. And he thanked God for the model of Jesus to show how you do it. We can stand with God in whatever situation we are in and let the darkness reveal itself. You don't need to do anything wrong in Jesus' name ever. God will be faithful. Someone's been dishonest, you're tempted to be dishonest right back. Don't do it. Someone's been inappropriate, profane, underhanded, sneaky, tossed you under the bus. You don't have to do that back. Someone's been violent or threatened with violence. You don't have to do that back. You may be struck down, but they will not win. They will not be justified. God will be faithful. I don't know what you're going through, but he does. I hope this word's coming to you at the right time. I have one more story to challenge us. Another child story. Uh, Even I really don't know what I think about this story I'm about to tell you. I know I could never do what you're about to hear. Uh, What I don't know is if that makes me right or wrong. So uh, we'll just hear the story. It is a story about God's faithfulness. This comes from The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. Uh, She lived in uh, Nazi-occupied Holland. In this story, she was just a house guest of another family. Now, this is before they knew what was going on with concentration camps and everything. This was just normal occupation stuff. The German munitions factory was so strapped for workers that they would surround blocks in Holland, sweep through and grab every young man between the ages 16 and 30, haul them away and put them to work in the munitions factory. Dutch young men, not not Jews at this point. Just anybody they could get their hands on. So every family that had young men in it between 16 and 30 are horrified. So one family who had three such brothers living under the roof, they had a potato cellar in their kitchen. So they widened the door into the potato cellar, and then they put a rug over it and put their table on top of it. And sure enough, one night, two of the boys run in, and they're like, there's soldiers on our street. They're only two doors down, and they're coming this way. So they throw back the rug. They throw open the door. These two cram themselves to the potato cellar. They slam the door, pull the rug down, put the table uh, over the thing, and they start setting the table like they're setting it for tea. Soldiers kick in the door like a second later. One comes in with a rifle. He points it at uh, the kids and the old, old ladies are in the room. He's like, nobody move. The rest of them, soldiers, tear it through the house. They can hear them pulling furniture down, scooting stuff away from the wall flipping beds over, just turning the apartment upside down. This soldier who has the family at rifle point decides he'll interrogate the six-year-old daughter. He says, Miss, do you have any brothers? And everybody holds their breath. Because just three days ago, this family was in a Bible study. These two families are in a Bible study. And it was about the commandment, thou shalt not lie. And someone said, what about lying to the Nazis? And the mother of the family said, I teach my children never to lie, not even to the Nazis. God will honor truth-telling. And they all said, you're crazy. You're crazy, and it's going to come to a bad end. She's like, God honors truth-telling. Well, here we are not three days later, and this Nazi says to this six-year-old girl, do you have any brothers? And she says, yes. And he says, how old are they? And she says, 18, 19, 
and 21. The soldier says, where are they right now? She says, my oldest brother is away at school. He won't be home. He says, what about the other two? And she says, they're under the table. A soldier calls another one in, and that guy goes over, and he's pulling back the tablecloth, and he's getting down to look, and this girl, she just can't handle the tension anymore. And she starts giggling. Have you ever seen little kids do this when they get nervous? They just giggle. She's just like, (laughs) and the soldier thinks she's laughing at him like she tricked him into looking under the table. So he throws the cloth down. He's like, you people, don't you come to make fools out of us. And they all storm out of the house. They had a very interesting discussion over dinner that night. (laughs) She says, look what you did. Your daughter almost told them where those boys were. And the mom sticks by it. She's like, she told the truth as I taught her. And God honored her truth-telling. I think I would lie in this situation. (laughs) I think most of us would. I think I would feel justified to lie in this situation. I think most of us would. But this is how the story happened. And, And she was a little girl. And she's raised always to tell the truth. And so that's what she did. Was it foolish? Probably. Was it naive? Absolutely. And yet God honored it. So the next time you are torn between honoring the character of Christ and winning a battle in your life, standing as he would stand or twisting his movement into something you need at the moment, remember what God did for this little girl who always told the truth. Remember what he did for the young man who did all the chores. Remember what he did for the marchers kneeling on the bridge who prayed even as they were beaten. Remember what he did for all of us through Christ Jesus who stood alone when everyone else deserted. And then decide what you will do. Amen.